So we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 through 26. You may have heard of a, of a phenomenon on the internet called a milkshake duck. Anybody heard of a milkshake duck? So a milkshake duck is this particular situation. Imagine you're walking by a pond and you see this duck and it's drinking a milkshake. And if you saw a duck that was drinking a milkshake, what would you, you'd be like, wow, that duck is really cool. It's really beloved. That duck, duck is great. And then eventually, perhaps what happens is the duck quacks. And it quacks a prejudiced comment against the geese. And all of a sudden, that beloved duck, from one simple quack, becomes uh, broken. And the reputation is destroyed. This is a, a phenomenon on the internet. Milkshake duck. To describe somebody who is beloved, a, a famous person who, by one quack, by one tweet, by the things they say, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're destroyed by their words. Milkshake duck tells us that words are powerful. Words are destructive. They will destroy us and they can also hurt and they destroy other people. This is one of the things that Jesus is getting at in this passage. Because it goes to, Jesus is getting to a, a deeper issue about uh, murder and anger. You see, in the day, there were people, and people like us, who thought that if you look at the six command, the Ten Commandments, and you look particularly at the Sixth Commandments, Sixth Commandment, do not murder, you say, you could hide behind the commandments and say, well, I haven't broken that commandment. And Jesus is saying here, that when we tried to hide by the externalizing the law, that we cannot do it. Because he is saying here that the sixth commandment is more than murder. Jesus says in verse 21 and 22, he says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. This is the sixth sixth commandment he is talking about. You shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, the the Jewish Sanhedrin, who is the judge of the people. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, he's talking about the the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were externalizing the law to say, look, murder, we haven't done that. And he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and when he says, but I say to you, he's not saying, forget the Ten Commandments. I'm saying something completely different. He's saying, You're misunderstanding the Ten Commandments by externalizing them. And I am telling you the heart of the commandments. He says, but I say to you. The Greek is is fun. It says, ego de lego. Uh, Kind of like, you know, the, the Ego Waffles commercial, Lego my ego. He says, ego de lego. He's saying, it's the same in Spanish. He's saying, I... I myself tell you, in Spanish it's saying, yo, yo les digo. You know, the yo is emphatic. 
He's speaking with authority. He's saying, you have a misunderstanding, but I am telling you authoritatively something different. That it's not, you cannot hide behind externalizing the, the commandments. It's about murder. is about anger and hatred in your heart. We cannot hide behind it. See, the Ten Commandments are, was easy to externalize. And even as we were listening to them read, it's easy for us to externalize the Ten Commandments. You see, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Well, I don't, I don't worship Allah, so I'm good. Second commandment, no, no carved images, no idols. Well, I don't have any lawn ornaments. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any statues that I worship, so I'm good. Third commandment, take the name, the, Lord, the Lord's name in vain. Well, I don't, when I stub my toe, I don't use Jesus' name in a bad way. Fourth commandment, you shall observe the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. Well, you know, today Super Bowl, uh, is NFL Sunday starts, and I'm going to spend at least three hours in my lazy boy watching the game, so I think got my rest, yeah. Fifth commandment, you know, I... I give a, a car to my mother on Mother's Day. I'm good with that one. And then you get to the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Obviously. Obviously I haven't killed anybody today. I, mean, I haven't killed anybody ever. This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's this externalizing of the commandments where you look at it and you say, check it off. Yeah, I, I didn't do those. I didn't murder anybody. And Jesus is saying, no, but I say to you that whoever, uh, whoever uh, is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever says, Raka, this is, you're an who says, idiot. You're an empty-headed idiot. Whoever says, you're a fool, belittling somebody, trying to assassinate their character, putting them down. To belittle them intentionally, to destroy their character. He says, You are in danger of the hell of fire. You have broken the sixth commandment. You see, we, we want to hide and say, I've never murdered anyone. And our culture helps us hide in some ways. There's this group called the Avid Brothers, they're kind of a folk Americana music uh, group, and they sing this song from an album called True Sadness kind of gets at the way that we hide from responsibility from the law. We hide from this idea that we are not murderers. He says this. Uh, it's a different song than that. Uh, it goes like this. We are victims, victims of cycles. We are victims of life. We are victims of wrong. We're victims of right. We're victims of winning. We're victims of loss. We're victims of payment. We're victims of cost. You got the victims of violence. You got the victims of peace. You know, we're all victims. Exactly like me. Victims of anything and all the above. Victims of hate and victims of love. See, what these people were talking, what this group is talking about, has got a, their finger on the pulse uh, of our culture that says, look, we are not perpetrators. We're victims. We're victims. We're not, gonna, we're not the ones who break those commandments. We're victims, victims of anything and all the above. And the truth is, yes, God does see your pain. God does see how people have sinned against you. 
He sees the many things that have come against you. He sees that. But He also sees into your heart. And He sees that you too are a sinner. You are one who makes victims from what you say and out of your heart of anger, of hate. Jesus says, think again. You have broken the law. Verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brothers will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus is saying, wake up. You cannot hide behind externalizing the law. Anger, hateful anger is murder. And your words as well are on fire. See, first he's saying anger, that is hate. It comes from the very same hateful, victimizing heart as murder. And therefore it is, in, it is deserving of hell. 1 John 3.15 makes it very clear. Where he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And the second thing we see then is that if, if, if the heart matters, then the, the very things that come out of our heart, which is most often our words, these things matter too. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 35, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he says in verse 22, Whoever insults, saying you're uh, an empty-headed person, is liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. The point is saying that, look, our words and our hateful heart destroy people's character. And because of that, and their person, in what we say, and because of that, we are in, in, liable for hell because he looks at the heart. Pastor Manuel's favorite theologian says this, For Jesus, to kill with a knife or to engage in character assassination through anger or to belittle another person by calling him fool is part and parcel of the same exact spiritual sickness. Whether you stab somebody or you backstab somebody by gossip, it's the same heart. Now, of course, this isn't saying that you can go around and say, look, you may gossip, I may stab people, what difference does it make? He's not saying that, but he is saying, look, it comes from the same spiritual sickness, and it comes from the same destructive heart, and that is what God sees, and that is what God judges. Words are destructive. Your words and my words would condemn you. Just like the milkshake duck. By one simple quack. Is destroyed. Words destroy you. And they make you liable for hell. And part of that is because the words that we use. Our words are also destroying other people. You see that. Words of uh, hateful words that belittle people are destroying them. When I grew up in Guatemala uh, as a kid, I would come home from school and we'd always come to a stoplight. And at one of the stoplights, there were always these guys that were standing there that were fire breathers. 
And uh, they'd stand at the stoplight, they'd put kerosene or gas in their mouth, and then uh, when it was a red light, you know, they'd have their torch, and they'd blow fire out of their mouth. Some of you have been to Juarez, you, you know they do that there sometimes too. And then they come up to you and say, I would like a dollar for breathing fire. And, and we say, well, we didn't ask you to do that. <laughs> but this is the picture of what we do with our words. We breathe fire over people. We scar their body. We scar their entire person for life with these belittling words that we say. And in attacking of their character and their person... It scars and influences their life for life, oftentimes. Proof. James 3.6 How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue, it is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the entire body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And it is set on fire by hell itself. Our words can be set on fire by hell. Our words create victims. And Jesus says we will be in danger of hell because of them. The law is deep. It gets to the heart. And it gets to what we say. So Jesus here, he is telling us what is prohibited from the heart. But also in every prohibition that we see in the Ten Commandments and what we see here, there is also, he shows us the behavior that he promotes, what he wants us to do. And what he wants us to do here is to use our words to build up, to be reconciled with one another. Verse 24, he says, look, if your brother sees, has something against you, go and be reconciled with them. If, you're, uh, if your accuser is taking you to court, come to terms quickly. It's come to terms, be reconciled. It is have a re- your relationship, make it be restored instead of it being torn down by your hate and by your words. Restore it, build it back together in forgiveness. It's about words that are encouraging one another in spiritual growth. It is about having words that build each other up. This is the positive command. Words that build up. Scripture, Ephesians 4.29. I think it's up here. Oh, didn't get up there. If you want, you can look at Ephesians 4.29. I'm going to read it. And this is so helpful in understanding what God requires of us with our words. He says, Ephesians 4.29, let no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only words such as are good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that what you say may give grace to those who hear. I'm going to read it again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. 
He says, use your words. Speak only words that are good for building up. That is gospel-saturated, hope-in-Christ words. Speaking the truth of the gospel. Speaking the truth of Christ to people. 1 Thessalonians says, he says it this way, encourage one another and build one another up with these words. The words that he's talking about are the assurance of salvation that they have. He says you're destined for salvation. Christians, encourage one another with these words of your assurance of your salvation. Encourage one another with the knowledge that Jesus is returning. That He has been resurrected and He will return. Encourage one another with these words that build up, knowing that you are not a fool. You are not a fool in Christ. You see, the life, our life, and our sin, and the world around us, and the evil one, would want you to think that you, Christian, are an absolute fool. But in God's wisdom, He says, you are not a fool. There's nothing more foolish than to be found in Christ and to know that He is coming back for you and that you are safe with Him. Encourage one another with these things. To know that you are not a fool in Christ. It says, also, important, only words that are building up as fits the occasion. This is an important thing that sometimes we forget. That you use words as fits the occasion. I remember when I was in college, I was working in a youth, uh, youth ministry as an intern. And uh, it was the end of the semester. And we were at a retreat. And I was staying with the ca- in a cabin with the senior, senior guys. And there was one guy named Aaron. And Aaron's dad had passed away a couple months before graduation. And he was hoping that he would make it to see his son's graduation, and he didn't. And I come into this cabin with these senior, these senior guys, and they're sitting in a circle. And they're saying, Jeff, we're talking about the sovereignty of God, and Aaron has these questions. Tell us about it. And I'm about to start opening my mouth and say, I'm, you know, as a sophomore in college and intern, you know, I have these right answers here. Before I got to start speaking, he launched into this, this despairing sorrow, saying, your family, your family is all together. Your moms don't have to work. My mom has worked and worked her the knuckles off of her, uh, the bones off of her knuckles to provide for our family. Why has my father been taken away? And he launched into everybody. Saying, Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? And he wept and he wept and he wept. How about I came in there and said, you know, Aaron, you just need to read your Bible. You know God is sovereign. That is not the time, as fits the occasion. There comes a time in which you have to bind people's wounds up. You have to speak the truth. But there are times when it is not fitting the occasion to talk about these things, but to sit with people. We speak words that are building up, that are filled with the truth of the gospel, as fits the occasion. This is what God requires of us. And here's the purpose. 
of it. It says in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace. See, the purpose of our speaking is that our word would give grace to others. The purpose of our speaking is that in, in people receiving grace from our words, that they would be built up, built up in spiritual maturity. That they would be built up in the faith. That they would grow in their sanctification. This is the purpose of our words. You may have seen Popeye growing up. You know Popeye the sailor man? How he's, uh, he's always weak. And uh, he's trying to defend olive oil from, I think his name is Bruno. And he's weak. And what happens? He, he has to open up the spinach can. And he eats the spinach through his tobacco pipe, which is kind of gross. But he eats the spinach, and when he eats the spinach, what happens? He, he gets strength. In a way, our words are supposed to strengthen people like that. It doesn't happen automatically like that. But this is what our words are supposed to do to each other. Encourage each other. Sometimes it's hard words that are challenging words. But it's words that are meant to build people up. And yet we are aware, very oftentimes, that our words and our heart is filled with animosity. And we have this fire in our heart that comes out in our words, desiring to assassinate people's character. We are aware of this. And and, and Jesus then comes very clearly with the application for this in our life. What to do when we realize that we have hate in our hearts towards our brothers and that we use these words to destroy people. His application is this. He says, go. Be reconciled with your brother. It's urgent. Deal with it right now. See, he describes two scenarios of urgency to be reconciled. He's talking about one, which is a family member, and two is uh, an, an enemy. Your accuser. Verse 24, he's talking about a brother. He says, you recognize that you're, you have sinned against your brother. They have something against you. Verse 24, he says this, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. He's saying it's urgent. You need to go deal with it now. For your worship might be hindered, I think is the implication. So deal with it right away. It's urgent. Verse 25, the same type of picture, but with an enemy, with your adversary. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him on the way. Do it right now. That's the point what he's getting at. It is urgent to address your anger. It is urgent to address your words. Why? Because it is costly if you do not. It is costly to wait. He says, truly, I say to you, if you don't, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. It's costly. We will pay dearly for not addressing the anger. In fact, Satan would even, the evil one, would use our sin of anger to consume us and to get a foothold, to make it go deeper, to pervade us, to consume us all up. Ephesians 4.26 
explains it this way. Be angry, but do not sin. So we know that anger itself isn't sinful. But be angry and do not sin. And when you, when you sin in anger, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. See, when we put off dealing with our sinful anger, evil will grow. It will fester. And it says the evil one gets an opportunity. I'm fortunately married to a woman who takes this verse very literally. We have conflicts like everybody. Sometimes, you know, when I have conflicts with my wife, I get really tired. Conflicts are exhausting. And after an exhausting conflict, I just want to say, and I'm a conflict avoider, I just want to say, I'm so exhausted, I'm going to go to bed. It's also one of my ways of just like saying, "Mm." so I go to bed. But my wife is tenacious. And I go and lay in bed and I try to fall asleep. You know what she does? She comes to the bed and she pokes me and says, are you asleep? say yes and she's always almost always the first one to apologize and say Jeff I'm sorry for what I've done in this and then I respond and and apologize as well but she is tenacious in quickly dealing with our sin in our marriage And because of that, by God's grace, we have been spared from consuming anger and bitterness. So you see, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in in quickly dealing with your conflict in your marriages, in your conflicts with one another. Because this is how, how God works. And consider what happens when we do not when we're not urgent about it. Think about how Cain killed Abel. See, God saw that, that uh, Cain had anger and hatred towards his brother in his heart. And he says this in Genesis 4-6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will, be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, you don't deal with it. Sin is crouching at your door. It it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. And one of the ways that we rule over sin is by dealing with it urgently, quickly. And Cain did not deal with it. And so evil pounced and he was consumed by his anger and he murdered his brother. So we see how urgent how urgent it is. It's so urgent that Jesus himself even says that we are in danger of hell for our words. This is what he says. And the question that many people have and the question that we have is, is this fair? Does that right? Does that make sense that you be condemned for hateful words? You say people would think the that doesn't make sense because the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. I mean, think about this. If in our legal system, you're in prison and somebody says, "What are you in prison for?" For murder. You say, "What are you in prison for?" I have a life sentence for cursing somebody. You say that doesn't make sense. 
And this is the way that we would think about it. Is that, wouldn't it be unjust of God because the, the crime does not seem to fit the punishment? And yet I think there are three basic responses that I would say to that. One is that we see here is that words are truly devastating. They devastate people's lives and character. They are devastating and they destroy the church and the work of God's kingdom. And so words are not small. Second, I think we see here that God judges the heart. And he sees it and he judges it perfectly. And so whether you're stabbing somebody and you get to life in prison, or whether you backstab somebody through gossip, he still sees that it comes from the same hateful heart. And that is what he judges. You see a man in an orange jumpsuit, sometimes it may be just that your life circumstances were different. But he sees the heart. And three, when we sin against people by our words and and hating them, we should know this, that God is always the main one who is sinned against. God is always the main one who is sinned against when we sin against other people. And so if I saw somebody making fun of my children, belittling them, I would say, if you mess with my mini-me's, you mess with me. And that is how we feel. You mess with my children, you are messing with me. Look, if we, we mess with people who are made in God's own image, and we hate them, we are hating their creator. And so ultimately what we are saying is this, there is no such thing as a small sin against a pure and holy and perfect God. And so the punishment does fit the crime. And what Jesus is intending for us to come to this is to recognize that I, you, cannot hide behind an externalization of the law. We cannot hide behind it. We have to say, I am a murderer. And I deserve the prison of hell for it. This is where Jesus is taking us. I can never pay back my crime. But as we see this, and as we understand it, this is when the good news of Christ becomes so good for us. And it is this, to know this, that Jesus, when He Himself was angry, He did not sin. He was angry, but He did not sin. And in His anger, He never destroyed people. He was about destroying sin and its effects in people's lives. He got angry when he came to the temple and he saw that the money changers were using it to keep people from worshiping God. And so he made a whip and he went and he drove the money changers out. You see, he got angry about sin keeping people from worshiping his father. And this is a picture of the Father's anger and wrath against sin. So sometimes we see here uh, on people's bumper stickers that there's a symbol that says cross equals heart. And that is true. But first, before we can ever understand that cross equals heart, we have to understand that cross equals frowny face. (laughs) 
Cross equals frowning face. Cross is where the Father's anger is directed against your sin, against your murder. Because all of His anger and all of His wrath, it falls down on your murder by falling upon your substitute, Jesus Himself. It's saying He is the one who bore the judgment. He is the one who stood before the council. He is the one who experienced the hell of fire for your sin. He paid it all. He paid it all. And so if you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you know what? God has no wrath. God has no righteous anger against you. There is none. Because you are perfect in His sight. As the song says that we're going to sing, though sin had left a bloody, murderous, crimson stain on your life, Jesus washed it white as snow. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we cannot hide behind a superficial reading of your law. We are not good people. We are murderers. By what we say... And yet, Lord, we thank you that, Jesus, you, the perfect God-man, never sinned in your anger. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have given your Son for us. We thank you, Lord, that though sin had left a bloody, murderous crimson stain upon us, Jesus, you have washed us white as snow, we who trusted you. So, Lord, may we go this week knowing your gospel. May we speak words of the gospel that build one another up so that we might receive grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.